You just love laughing at yourself. I do. I wish people could hear the intro, like the actual intro. People don't want to hear that. No. There are certain things that people were not meant to hear. We have to do this like weird scream thing in order to get everything mic'd up. And and then we start. And every time I just laugh. And when Patrick says we, (laughs) it's me. It's you. (laughs) I like, I look forward to that so much. Anyways, and we're off. And we're back. And we're back again. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you as well. It's kind of weird still in this like once a week pattern back in the office. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully coming back soon. Well, you got to take it slow. Patrick's still, he's, he's much, much, much better, but he's a little bit of like lingering effects of the accident. And so better to be slow and to do it the right way. That's right. That's the, that's the learning curve right now. You are more important than what you do, which is a dogma of the Catholic church. (laughs) Who you are is more important than what you do. Mm, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, how's it been around here? He's been good, you know, a lot going on. We've yeah. got a uh, big week this week. We've started RCIA. Uh, Dr. Sachs is coming. We're recording this before his talk. Uh, we're excited about him. We're excited about his talk. It's going to be a big event. I, uh, my shout out this week I want to give, I don't think he'll ever listen to this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, Dr. Tim Gray. Oh. I had lunch with him yesterday and it was great to see him. He and I are old friends, and in many ways, he's not just in many ways, he really just has been my mentor in scripture and in a lot of ways in the intellectual life in general. And he is just a brilliant human being. Loved him. So it's great to be I've met him a few times. He is awesome. This is actually funny. About a week or two ago, um, Steph and I went by the Augustine Institute. Yep. And for me, kind of being new to this whole thing, like I, I totally respect Tim Gray, but I don't, I don't get starstruck with them. Right. Like I'm still trying to figure out, you know, yeah. okay, cool. But Steph, while we were there, he walked in and Steph hasn't really ever met him, but she was like, oh, that's Tim Gray. And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. And she was like totally fan struck about the whole thing. It was, it was really funny. Um, but it kind of put it in perspective, like in the Catholic world, he's kind of a big deal. He's a very big deal. I, uh, I, I forget what it was. There was something where I talked about him being a chump. That's right. And every, I maybe it was on the podcast. I don't it know. Was. It was on the podcast. Or, or, or maybe a sermon. I think I've probably done both. And probably. everybody, I guess like it was a sermon, I think. And a bunch of people just like loved it. And because <laughs> Tim, Tim really is, he, he is one of those Catholic celebrities. I mean, honestly, he's, he is just a brilliant scholar and he's a great leader, but he, uh, I always tell him, I'm like, everyone thinks you're so cool. This is, I'm like, that's why you have me in your life. That's right. So Take like, him Tim down Gray, a notch. A, he, one of my favorite <laughs> stories about Tim, I guess he'll never listen to this, but he did, so priests do a, what's called a convocation once a year, not every diocese, but Denver does. It's all the priests go away for four days and there's work and business, but it's also relaxing. And usually it's right after Easter. But he, a couple of years ago, he did it with Denver. He gave all the talks for the Denver priests. And somebody was asking him a question about Romans and like how the law worked and the interaction between the law in the Old Testament and the law in the New Testament. And he totally just fudged the answer <laughs> because he was like, he's on stage and it's a very complex reality. Yeah. And he didn't have time to really go into it. But I, but I was like, that was a lame answer. And it took everything in me 
not to raise my hand and be like, BS, <laughs> yeah. total BS. Let's talk, let's talk about, you let's know, Romans chapter seven here. Yeah. Cause I, you fudge that so bad. And so I was giving him grief afterwards. I was like, you are lucky. I didn't come after you. <laughs> and he just smirked. He was like, leave me alone. Yeah. So <laughs> it would it probably would have made it so much longer. Just, yeah. He just didn't have the time for it. Everybody, anyone who's a speaker, I think knows that you can go, you, you have your like your inch yeah. deep answer. Yep. And then you've got your mile deep answer. Yeah. And it just, you have to assess in a given conversation or talk. Okay. Do I give my one liner on this totally. or do we, do we go into like the depths and you have to kind of. Yeah. You know, or you give it the like, hey, you know what? That's a great question. Let's, let's talk after. Right. Anyways, yeah. back to that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I love him. So, so yeah. Hashtag Tim Gray. Great That's guy. That's right. Um, my shout out, I'll, I'll go Megan Carney on this one because she has just been crushing it while I've been out. And I just totally appreciate all the work she's that wonderful. she's been doing and, and really all this stuff, especially leading to this Dr. Sachs event. It's, it's a lot of work putting she, on a She a helped shindig. me. I, did, I made an egg bake this morning for oh. our staff and we did a little prayer time together as a staff. Yep. And we had breakfast first. And I had, this is my first time I've ever made an egg bake. You're kind of a dinner guy. I'm a dinner guy. You make dinners. I mean, I mean, I like breakfast, but. <laughs> you make you know. dinners and you make salads for lunch. Yeah, exactly. And so I made, I made egg bake for the staff, but it took twice as long because I didn't account for how big of a thing I was making. Yeah. And so it, Megan helped me. She was like, I was like, Megan, is that done yet? And she, she kept saying, give it a jiggle, which I was just, jiggle's a weird word. That is. And she's like, no, that's not done. It's, so she helped. I was, I don't know if I've ever had an egg bake. And when I walked in, cause I couldn't make that. Uh, I thought at first she was like, do you, I thought you asked me for like egg bacon. Egg bacon. And, and I, but what you did make was delicious. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Anyways, now we're, no, let's, let's get back on track here. Let's get back on track. So <laughs> folks, we're heading into October here. We're in October when this comes out and a uh, lot going on. Uh, there's pressure for Halloween. That's right. Uh, we're drawing near to All Saints Day and All Souls Day, November 1st and 2nd, going into the um, fall and winter here. And so uh, we had a listener write in and say, hey, we should talk about dead bodies. Yep. And I actually, I really appreciate the question. I have a lot of questions just around Halloween in general, too. Yeah. Like since I became Catholic, I've learned more and more that, and I kind of get it. And I think Halloween can rub and has rubbed me the wrong way for a very long time. Yeah. But there's a really fun part of Halloween. Yeah. Getting candy and dressing up and whatnot. Um, but I think just in general, there's this kind of like, wow, wait a second. What are we celebrating at Halloween? Yeah. No. And that's, I don't know the whole history that some of you might know better than me, but that's a big question for a lot of Catholics. So yeah. at our school, we have, we don't do Halloween. We do all saints. That's right. And it's the coolest thing. I mean, the first time I ever saw it mm -hmm. and it like, I'll have you explain it, but I don't know. I think I automatically teared up and I was on staff. I started in October, like October 3rd. So I was on staff for maybe three or four weeks when this happened. So people didn't really know me. And I started taking photos of the kids. And I was right. like, I think I my parents that. are like probably creeped out of like, who's this new guy taking photos of my kid? But I thought it was the coolest, cutest thing I've ever seen. It is. Yeah. No, so the um No, I get I get emotional every year. You watch the kids walk through and they're all dressed up like saints. And yeah. They love it. They have such a good time. And it's just beautiful. 
the best is so all the school dresses up literally i think it's the day after halloween or around kinda, there. i think it depends on depends the, how the it lands. school schedule yeah exactly and they all pick their a saint and they all get dressed up and and i would say majority go above and beyond in their effort and uh, trying to get it done it's outstanding the best yeah. part of the day is the past few years i've walked around with you and every kid comes up and some of them are like bizarre saints that right. you're like i have no idea and everyone's like father brian who am i who am i and you're getting quizzed left and right on who each kid is and, and you, some of them just dress it like a lot of them dress up just as priests and like who am i who am i i'm like i don't know i'm like <laughs> totally uh it's awesome it's the cutest thing of all time but i actually i love that and it's just wholesome like it's just a a cute little thing um that i want gianna more focused on that but at the same time like yeah. we are picking out our halloween off like outfits like when i, I kind of think you know because some one of the things that happens in catholic circles about this is it's t- people sometimes push the limit too far of like they freak out about, we can't do Halloween. That's against the faith. And I, I think people can go too far and get a little too uptight on that. At the same time, there's something about like, who do you imitate? That's right. And who do you want your kids to imitate? And not that it means your kid's a bad kid or something if he dresses up like a Superman or something, but there is some, there's a darker side of Halloween. Yeah. Right. There, there is a darker side where people are into death. Yeah. And, and I know it's kind of cute. Like <laughs> it's kind of heavy. It's kind of heavy. And, you know, the people will say, oh, you're just being uptight. And I understand the tensions there and you can push anything too far in one direction. When I was a focused missionary, people used to debate about whether or not you should celebrate or, or not celebrate, but whether or not you should tell your kids about Santa Claus or not, because are we just lying to our kids? Shouldn't we tell them that Christmas is about Jesus and not oh. Santa Claus? And I, you know, I think you could do it. I don't think these are the, the be all end all questions. If I had, if I was married and had kids, we're doing Santa Claus. Yeah. For sure. And I don't, and I think my kids can tell it because some people would say, well, if you tell them Santa Claus is real, but then you're also telling them God is real. Are they going to grow up and think, well, it's just like Santa Claus. I'm like, no, they're not. They're going right. to be able to tell the difference. But, oh, but that's I do a get, whole, that's a, that's another, I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess on the surface it makes sense, but, oh, I don't know if I could get behind that. Yeah. I, and I think there's a balance there, but, but at the end of the day, the reason I do love that we do saints, so much of human life is about imitation. Yep. What do you want to be? Like, who do you emulate? Who are your heroes? That's right. And like, we, you do see a lot of kids who I think who are just, they, they emulate pop stars. That's right. They emulate, or they emulate kind of dark stuff sometimes and they get, and they fill their minds and St. Paul would tell us. So Romans eight, I, you know, what's funny is if you've been listening to the podcast, I, I am a broken record in a lot of things, but one of the things I tell people constantly is that the, the Christian life has everything to do with what you put in your mind. Yep. And so my argument that would say, I do think it's cooler. It's like, why not have your kids? If they're going to get excited and dress up for something, why don't they get excited for St. George? That's right. All right. St. George, like <laughs> he kills the dragon. What's cooler than that? That's right. And he's a good man. He loves God. He's a saint. And uh, Chesterton has a line where he says, he's talking about fairy tales. And he has this great line where he says, fairy tales do not teach children that dragons exist. Fairy tales teach children that dragons can be killed. Nice. Yes. Isn't that a great line? It's awesome. Yeah. And it, it calls them to 
uh, to greatness and to fight for something that matters. And I just, I've always loved that line. Okay. But St. Paul, Romans eight, I quote this all the time. Romans eight, uh, chapter five, or I'm sorry, verse five, (laughs) Romans eight, five, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And I always have to explain here, the flesh for Paul here does not just mean like sexual urges or something like that. The flesh means the broken part of human nature. Okay. It means the part where life is about me and it's about who wronged me. What do I deserve? Looking out for number one is about power, pleasure, you know, prestige, these kinds of things. So those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And I will say this, lots of, I think, uh, by the time this comes out, Dr. Sachs will already have spoken, but I wouldn't be surprised if he talks a little bit about this, is that your child's imagination is a beautiful thing. That's right. And a human imagination is a beautiful thing. And if, and if your mind's filled with junk all the time, and it's filled with, if you get into and your, your mind's like obsessed with things it shouldn't be obsessed with, that's a really dangerous thing. And so anyway, that's a long way to say, I just love the idea of, yeah, why aren't kids like dress up like St. Benedict and St. Lawrence who, you know, and little boys, instead of little boys like gory things. Yeah. So you could have your little boy dress up as Rambo. <laughs> or what about if there was St. Lawrence who gave his life for Christ? as he was roasted on a grill and is one of the great early martyrs of Christianity. Yeah. Walk around with the propane tank. Um, the, <laughs> I don't think that propane then <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, so in, in preparing for sacks, I, I was listening to him in a talk he gave and he gave this, uh, there's this study out there, I think from UCLA where they break down, um, what families have watched, like the number one show um, from, it was like 67, 77, 87, 97, 2007. And okay. from 67 to 97, no matter what the show, it was like Andy Griffith's show, the, you know, I forget what else he cites, like the number one shows of those. Growing two, Pains or something. Something like that. In the 80s. Across the board, the underlying message was always like a family-centered um kind of message mm. and growing pains is that way they, yeah like yeah. they're all a different story but at the end of the day it was never about like there was a couple things it was about virtue you're always kind of choosing the right thing yeah you're you're in a dilemma and like are you going to cheat or are you not are you and at the end of the day it's always about you know i want to be back around the family that's what matters in 2007 the number one shows on tv were things like survivor um the Kardashians, all this kind of stuff where the the messaging around society became less about the family and more about um, individual success and fame and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And, and when you're, it's kind of funny when you, when I look back on like my Halloween experience through that time, you know, and when you're thinking about this, what you're dressing up as, and when you cite Romans fifth, when Romans eight, five, the flesh it's kind of like the main um, costumes. One are very revealing. Yeah, talk about straight flesh. That's fine. I think a lot of, especially at college, mm-hmm. Halloween is an excuse to dress up in very provocative ways. But also, the other categories are again centered around power, fame. Who are you? 
And that's kind of like the main idols of today when it would be really rad to get it back to saints and like this message of like what we're teaching kids. And that's again, why when you see all saints day and they do a parade around the neighborhood and all this stuff. And it's just, it is the cutest thing of all time versus, you know, having the eight year old, like you said, show up as Rambo and, or some like grim reaper and the, dad's behind him dressed even worse and you're like yeah, what, you know jason and all this crazy stuff right what kind of sto- what kind of world do we live in and the stories stories are the main mechanism that that form a worldview yeah so a worldview right is the basic they're the glasses you look through at the world it's your basic assumptions about what is life about what is good and evil but i, but I love that image you use with from dr Sachs. like look at the stories we're telling yeah it's a story about community and family and making and choosing the right things in life and living a meaningful life in that way? Or is it about how awesome I am? Yeah. And how good do I look and how, how do I overcome other things? That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. The whole thing. I mean, it was like, leave it to Beaver. Sabrina, the teenage witch was his example from 97. Yeah. But even that was the plot line is like, you're killing the demons type thing. Like it again, it, it was, yeah, it was very, very interesting. But um. I think the the question that we got was very interesting too of like death in general. I mean, you look at Halloween, so it's I think you can find the right balance in Halloween and, you know, <laughs> Steph just bought our outfits. I'm going to be Winnie the Pooh. She's going to be I was going to guess that. I, if there's one thing that you, you know, <laughs> she's going to be Tigger, Slugger, my little Golden Doodle is going to be Eeyore. Oh, nice. And Gianna's Piglet. I love that. And it's, a, and it's like a unified costume. Yeah. We're, we're going to stick with like family themes. I, I give Steph a hard time. Like I'm acting like I'm not stoked on it, but I really am. So I hope she doesn't listen to this episode, but I'm. She probably, I, I have to say, I'm like, usually when you're close with someone, like your spouse is going to say, why would I listen to you? That's I right. See, I, I see you every day. That's right. Why would I listen to your podcast? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I am stoked on it, but um, I think it when you start to kind of glorify this death scenario, like what is and what happens with death, like and, and what is the church? You know, like I, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. But like I had my mom cremated; I didn't know any better. Yeah, but like we know and we hope that we go to heaven. But what what happened? And and like when you focus on this thing of yeah. Halloween, I think it brings up those bigger questions of death. Yeah. The, so the big, if you want a book recommendation, there's already like three books that have gone through my mind and the stuff we already talked about. It's like stories, for instance. Uh, stories are so important for worldviews. The big, mine, I shouldn't even say this. If you're a very difficult book that you probably should not read, so I don't recommend <laughs> it because it's, it's a very dense book. So unless you have a philosophy background, but Alistair McIntyre's book After Virtue is really powerful about helping us understand how stories communicate things. But let, but let, I'm diverting and going back. So let's talk yeah. about bodies and what do we believe as Christians. And the, so the book I do want to recommend, which is much easier, I have right here. Oh, perfect. Do you remember this one? Have you? Have I recommended this to you? you have, you've shown it to me before. Yeah, I remember the cover. Yeah, so this is a Reminds book. Reminds me of Gladiator. It does. It looks like that when he's walking through the field. Yeah. Very classy cover. A jacket there. Yeah. But uh, N.T. Wright is my uh, 
one of my favorite authors. Yep. N.T. Wright is broadly considered the top scripture scholar in the world. He's an Anglican. He was an Anglican bishop. He's phenomenal. So anyway, N.T. Wright, so he wrote a little book called Surprised by Hope. He wrote, this is his, what he does sometimes is he writes big scholarly thick books and then he puts them into what he thinks is a more accessible, kind of more pop level. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. Yep. So a lot of scholars will do that. They'll write big, thick books for, for other scholars and they'll do all, all the proof, all the footnotes, all the research is in there. And then for people who aren't going to read a 700 page book on it, he'll put the main argument, he'll trim it down and put it in a shorter book. So this is his best book, I think. Does he have any like shorter, shorter versions for people like me? Yeah, he kind of does actually. But... <laughs> Clip notes. But so N.T. Wright wrote it. So Surprised by Hope is a short version of his book on the resurrection. He wrote a book called The Resurrection of the Son of God, which is phenomenal, by the way. And he spends, he does all the homework on resurrection. But, but here's the key to this, I think. And N.T. Wright really changed my thinking. You know, I think sometimes we, we you get in the stream, you're in a river and you're the fish in the river, and you forget the stream you're in. Like, you're just surrounded by the context you're in. Yeah. You assume it. And he, he helped me see something that I'd never seen before. And one of N.T. Wright's big, he has a couple of big points he wants to make to the world. He's a very devout you know, Christian, uh, so he wants to make all the, the world kind of embrace Jesus. But one of his big polemics in his life is that Christians have substituted the actual Christian idea of what happens when you die for a counterfeit that's actually pagan. Whoa, what? So here's what he means by this is, so when, when someone we love dies, you know, and he talks about this in his book, uh, you know, we just kind of say, well, you know, that person's in heaven. Yeah, you know? they're in a better place. And, and he'll talk about how there's, um, oh gosh, I don't know if I can find a, a great little one-liner from him here, but. Um, well, while you find that, um, the other thing I think, and not to totally divert here, but the other thing you always hear is, and I don't know if the, he'll touch on this, but when people say like, oh, well, they're watching over you now. Yep. Is that also kind of a pagan idea? Not necessarily. Uh, we, we can believe that too. We just don't. We, one of the things there is we don't know if that person's in heaven yet, unless the church has canonized them as a saint. Right. So we don't know. That's why we have to pray for people. So w- when someone dies, we want people to feel good. Yes. But with the pr- when I die, I don't want other people to feel good. I want to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a sinner and I need God's mercy. And so when I die, you and Steph and Jeej and the rest of your kids just have lots of masses said for me. Totally. That's what I want. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want people to be like, oh, FB, he was so great. Like, no, go have masses said for me. but. But here's, here's a good example. So N.T. Wright, this book's a little dated, so he's talking about, he's, and he's looking backwards too, but he's talking about when Diane, Princess Diana died. Ooh. And it says, after Diana's death, one message left in London spoke as in the princess's own voice. So this is Diana speaking, it's, and it's obviously not her really speaking, but somebody's kind of taking liberty to, to speak in her voice. And so supposedly Diana says, I did not leave you at all. I am still with you. I am in the sun and in the wind. I am even in the rain. I did not die. I am with you all. Uh, 
N.T. Wright comments, many funerals, memorial services, and even funerary, that's a word, funerary inscriptions now give voice to this kind of belief. Many would-be Christians try to persuade themselves and others that this kind of ongoing life is really what is meant by traditional teaching, either about the immortality of the soul or the resurrection of the dead. There's a lot of confusion, and here's what N.T. Wright helped me to understand. Resurrection does not mean the same thing as going to heaven. Okay. How so? So this is, this is the big difference. So Halloween, this is great for us to think about. So the, the, we, after the world became Christian, when the Catholic Church evangelized Western civilization, and in many ways created Western civilization, or at least you know, was the great preserver of it, we get to a place where when the world became Christian, we think that heaven is just this only Christian idea. And that's not true. In, the, in almost all cultures, there's some idea of heaven. In the ancient world, the world that Christianity was born into, everyone believed in heaven. And we, you talked about gladiator. The, the Romans had a heaven. It's called Elysium. Hmm. And in the very beginning of gladiator, glad, they're, they're, in that, they're fighting the German barbarians. Yep. Do you remember that at the very beginning? Yep, yep. And Maximus is in the woods with his soldiers and he says, hey, if you, uh, if you look up all of a sudden, you see the sun shining and you're riding through this beautiful field. I forget how he says it, but he says, basically, he says, don't look for us because you've already died and you're in Elysium. Okay, yeah. That, and that's a Roman heaven. Wow, okay. So this is the big thing is that Christians, so Galen is a uh, early Roman doctor, and Galen says there's two, he notes two strange beliefs of Christians, two things that, that made them weird from everybody else. One of them was their incredible sexual restraint and chastity. It blew his mind. He was like, this is crazy. No one's, ever, no one's ever seen this. Yeah. And the second one is belief in resurrection. And so here's, here's, so here's the point. The pagans all believe that your soul dies and goes to heaven. Okay. If you lived a good life, at least. Yeah. That your soul somehow goes to heaven. But what they didn't believe is that your body comes out of the earth. Resurrection does not mean the same thing as your soul going somewhere. Whoa. Resurrection okay. is about your body. Yep. And N.T. Wright is the, the, the biggest kind of, it's, it's so funny. You think you know your faith so well. And he, when I was in seminary, especially, and I was reading a bunch of his books, it's one of those things. It's like, it was so obvious. I was, and I, but I was like, how did I miss that? We've conflated heaven with resurrection. Yeah. And his point is this, everyone believed in heaven in the ancient world, but what they believed was that the material world, the physical earth was evil or at least something that, why would anybody want it? Interesting. Right. And so people, and people still talk this way. They talk like, well, your mother's in heaven. What we don't talk about is, so, so my grandmother, Grandma Jane is buried at Mount Olivet Cemetery and her soul is not a physical reality. Her body is buried at Mount Olivet in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. And what we believe is Christians and what makes Christian, what makes Christianity one of the things so radically different from paganism is Christians actually dare to say that God made the world good. Right. 
And the resurrection is the flip side of that coin. And so think about this. I love it. This is one of my favorite topics, which is dangerous for today. But one of my, my favorite things to talk about is that Christians have become escapists. And so, so, so Christians, oftentimes they think, you know, uh, you die and you get to leave this terrible world. And, and what that does sometimes is it's caused us in our lives as Christians to, uh, to kind of check out of society. Yeah. But, but on, but what the Christian belief is, is that, so God created the world good, right? And you read the, read Genesis one, the Jewish Christian belief is that God made the world good. Plato, for instance, is an easy way to say this. Plato did not believe that. So Plato believed that your body was a prison for your soul. Oh, that's heavy. Yeah, it is heavy. And so for instance, like Socrates, so Socrates, right? Socrates, if you like Bill and Ted. That's right. Right. Socrates is Plato's teacher. And when he dies, people are mourning and he says, why would you mourn? I'm going to a much better place. And we still talk like that. Yes. And that's a pagan teaching. Right. So, so the Christian understanding is very simple. The Christian understanding is God made the world good. Yeah. Sin in Genesis. So that's Genesis one. In Genesis three, you have the fall and the world is corrupted by sin. And so death enters the world. Uh, but the, the whole story of the rest of the Bible is that God is not just going to abandon his creation. We live in this culture now, right? Like if something's not perfect, you just throw it out. Right. God doesn't do that with his creation. And so the whole, like we we're used to Christianity being this whole movement away from the world towards God. And there's a certain truth to that. I understand what people mean by that, but they push it too far. Christianity is not about us leaving the world. It's about God breaking into the world. Into the world now. Right. And so, so Jesus, like, and, and I think part of the reason we get so many things wrong about what Christianity is about is we think, well, you had a tough life. You suffered a lot. There's a lot of evil out there. We don't know how to deal with it. But someday you'll be happy because someday you get to die and go to heaven. That's contrary to what Christianity is about. What Christianity is about is when the, the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world was the murder of God's son, mm-hmm. right? The, the son of God was murdered by us and in a brutal, hideous way. And what, what the resurrection is, is the reversal of all, right? The resurrection doesn't just say, well, Jesus is happy now. He went through a lot, but he's in a better place now. What the resurrection is, is it's, it's the undoing of death. Does that make sense? It does. So what does that mean though for like Grandma Jane, right? Like I get that with Jesus mm-hmm. and, and what that did. Because I think you're right. I mean, it's a natural, remember when my mom died, there was a couple of things that struck me that was like, someone had said, uh, the only thing, the only people that are affected, if you believe in God, the only people that are affected by death are the people that are left behind. Like you're the one that's sad. That person's in a better place. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And at the time that meant a lot. Like, yeah, that's right. My mom is in a better place. Or like the classic things of like, you know, there, I know is like life's moments, right? Like John is coming and mom's not here. My wedding day and all that stuff. It's like, well, your mom's watching over you. She's here. Yeah. And then there's times where I'm kind of like, I don't know if I really want my mom always watching me. 
Like, I go to confession <laughs> yeah. for a lot of things, right. and I'd prefer not thinking that she's watching my every move. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does that mean, though? Like, that's Jesus in that moment. And then how does that, what's the way to then really think about it with lay people? Yeah, so, so Jesus, so what the Jews believed, so Jews believed in the resurrection. So the only people in the ancient world who believe in the resurrection are Jews, then Christians. And, and then there's a debate about Zoroastrians, if they did or not. Mm. It's, it's, it's tough to know. The evidence isn't very clear. People will say things like the Egyptians did. No, they didn't. They absolutely did not. And that's, that's part of the homework N.T. Wright does in his big, thick book on the resurrection. Yeah. Is all these claims people will casually throw out about, oh, you know, the resurrection myth, that's like Osiris in Egypt. It's like, and he's like, no, put your money where your mouth is, do your homework. And he, and he demonstrates and he shows you how it's nothing even remotely close to what Jews and Christians believed. But anyway, what Jews believed is that there would be a resurrection at the end of time. And, and that meaning what? So that meaning that the bodies. The bodies come back. And here's, and this is again, so this is it. the flip side of the coin that the world is good. Pagans didn't believe the world was good. For pagans, right? You have all, depending on what kind of pagan you're talking about, the universe is not a good place necessarily. It's a weird battle between good and evil. Yeah. Which there's half truth there. Uh, but there's different gods at war with each other. Yeah. Uh, who knows what you're going to get? The Christian belief and the Jewish belief is that God made everything good. Sin has corrupted his good creation, but because God is who he is, he will never leave it that way. Okay. And so he's, so he would come and N.T. Wright, he's a Brit. And so he, his phrase, he says is that God will come and put to, to put things to rights. And I love that phrase. Yeah. And so, so the Christian hope is not just, I get to die and go somewhere else. Imagine this. This, gets, I, this is one of those powerful things I've ever encountered in theology. N.T. Wright says, imagine, imagine that what God is doing is that every evil in the world someday will be undone. Mm. Not just, you'll, not just your, you know, the, the children who were abused and died or something. I mean, terrible, horrible things out there. Not just that those people will, you know, they'll be happy now. They get, they get a consolation prize. But that somehow mysteriously in the resurrection, evil is undone. It's reversed. And so, so the greatest evil, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that death is the, the last enemy to be conquered. And the resurrection doesn't just say, hey, that was tough. You went through death. That was awful. You're in a better place now. Resurrection reverses what death is all that was. And so, so what we believe as Christians, right? Is that what, what happened to Jesus? So Jews believe that the resurrection will happen at the end of time. Yep. And like Zechariah 14 talks about this, but what happened with G that what they did not expect was that that was for that to happen before the end of time. And so what, what happens with Jesus is that he brings something that was supposed to happen at the end of the world. And he brings it into the present. Yep. And so that's why Christians, this is where a lot of Christians get this wrong, is that when they talk about the end times, they think that just means the moment that the world ends. The New Testament teaching is that you and I live in the end times ever since the resurrection of Christ. We live in the final age where the resurrection and everything's changed. And ooh, I just hit myself in the face of the microphone. (laughs) 
But this, this changes everything. And, and I never have time to talk to people about this. But when people come to me and they're like, Father Brian, why am I not a priest or have a girlfriend or why am I not married yet? What I want to say to them is everything's different. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. The resurrection came. All the stuff you think matters doesn't matter anymore. Because literally, where we live in the end times now, where the resurrection of the dead has happened, just in one case, but, it's, but the whole world changed. Yeah. And so you can no longer pretend that life is about these things. This is why the early church has had a, such a large percentage of its members embrace celibacy, because they understood that the world that's about just normal things no longer exists. Everything has changed. So I still haven't answered your question. Finally, so Grandma Jane, her soul is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual reality. Her soul is, and John Paul II talks about this, that when someone dies before the resurrection, her soul is not so much, it's better not to think of it as being in a place, but in a state. So your soul can be in different states. You can be in a state of grace, a state of sin. Mm. It can be in a state of joy. It could be in a state of sorrow. And so Grandma Jane's soul is in either a state of union with God, a state of separation from God, which would be hell, or a state of purification, which would be purgatory. Oh, whoa. Okay. And, but, 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 but no matter which one of those three, her soul, whichever state her soul is in, it is not complete until the last day when her body rises from the dead. Oh, that's crazy. So then if you're in a state of union, can you like, is anyone then in heaven? Are we waiting for even the saints? I know they're categorically in heaven, Yeah, but is there like a, an absolute, like when there is the true resurrection of all the bodies on the last day, on the last day. So, so for instance, when we say St. Gianna is in heaven. Yep. Well, see, I don't know where she's buried, but somewhere in Italy, I'm sure. So St. Gianna Mola, her soul, we believe as Catholics, as a saint, that her soul is in a state of union with God. Her body is buried somewhere in Italy. That's right. You know, that's, that's where her body is. But on the last day, her soul will be reunited with her body. Wow. Okay. So this is the argument then for why cremation yes. is somewhat or is frowned upon. So, so think, so Christians and all human beings, we live by symbols. This is why this matters. Uh, so why, why do people get so angry when they see someone burning an American flag? It's like, dude, it's, it's, I'll buy you one for 50 bucks. That's right. Yeah. So it's not, it's not that huge a deal. They get upset because it's a symbol of hatred, right? They, yep. they, and, and if, if you're someone who loves America, when you see an American flag burning, it's massively symbolic for you. Yep. Right. So God can do anything, right? Like it's not like it's not like God's in heaven. He's like, oh crap, they cremated him. Can't put. Don't know what to do. What do I do? Can't put that dust particle back together. He's like, crap. What are we gonna do? Yeah. The Father's like turning to the Holy Spirit. He's like, you got anything? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, because I don't. (laughs) Didn't see that one coming. That's right. Yeah. God's God's not nervous about that. But what it is, so the pagans burn bodies. Not Uh all of them. Some of them buried them. But if you read, for instance, um, if you read like the Iliad, what they do is they, they, they thought the soul had to escape the body. Right. And so King Priam, 
at the end of the Iliad, goes to Achilles to beg for the body of his son so they can burn it on a funeral pyre so his soul can escape and go to where it belongs. That's, and like, so some of you might, an easier reference for a lot of people would be in Lord of the Rings in the last movie when Denethor, have you seen those? I forget. No. Oh my gosh. No, I have not. You are a pathetic excuse for I'm him. Busy watching Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, that is very good. But anyway, that's what they did. They would, they would burn the bodies. And, and so like Achilles, by hanging on to Hector's body, the Hector is the, the, his great foe. Yep. Achilles is the bad guy. He kills Hector. And then he won't bury him and he won't, and he won't release his body to his dad. And for the, for the Greeks this time and the pagans, what that means is that his, his son has no hope of heaven Yeah, because your body's a prison. And unless you do the proper funeral rites. So Achilles doesn't just hate Hector in this life. He hates him for all eternity. Oh. And you'll see this in a lot of pagan mythology. Yeah. So, but well, so what pagans do though, is they say, well, we'll burn the body. And what that says is that your body's evil. You don't need it. He's burning up. Your soul is what matters. Your body doesn't matter. Christians, ironically, everybody thinks Christians think the body's evil. Christians are actually the ones who think that the world is good and that the body's good. And so we bury them. And that's why we don't do cremains because when you symbolically spread the ashes, that's what pagans do. And it's a way of saying your body's done for. We don't need it anymore. Does that make sense? Gosh, yeah, it does. I'm, yeah, I'm like reflecting on myself. I feel like that in my point of life, <laughs> I feel like it uh, was a very liberal thing of me to do. Like it right. felt right in the moment, yep. but not actually thinking of the actual like next step. Like, okay, right. but then that leads to what? Like it was just kind of one of those things in the moment. I thought it was, I was convinced. Yeah. I, it was exactly that. I was letting my mom's soul Go and be yeah. free. Go be free. And That's like, right. Like you go to one of the ones I see at Catholic funerals sometimes and it drives me crazy and people don't mean anything by it. And so I just, you know, I never say anything, but sometimes at burials, people release pigeons. Yeah. It's yeah. the same symbolism. It's thank God now they're free. That's right. No, they're not. The, the, the Christian teaching is that death is evil. That's the teaching of the New Testament. It's not that they're free now that they don't have a body. They're not free. They're missing a body. Yeah. The, the death of the body is an evil thing. So listen to this. So this is one of my favorite lines in this whole book from N.T. Wright. So, uh, so he's talking about how we used to build churches with the churchyard in Europe, which just means the cemetery yeah. around the church. And when you walked into a church, you walked through the churchyard. And he talks about how beautiful that is that the church is not just those who are going to the church that Sunday. It's that I'm connected to the past. Wow. And all the people who love God, it, I wish we had this at Lord's. I would love this. There's no space for it. But if we had at Lord's in St. Louis, if we had a graveyard, it was all the people who, you walk through mass on Sunday and you walk through the cemetery, this part of the church. Yep. And it's, it's your grandma and That's your right. grandpa. And it's all these people who are part of the body of Christ. And you walk past them and they're still around the church. So N.T. Wright says, I also note in passing that a ceremony in a building that is used for nothing else is a very different event from a funeral. Whether or not followed by cremation in a building that is used daily and weekly for prayer, Eucharist, celebration, for baptisms and weddings, for the whole worshiping life of a community, 
And here's the, here's the line where I got this. He says, or to look at it another way, there is something wonderful and profound about entering a church through the churchyard where all those, where, where are buried those who worshiped there in centuries past. What that does is it speaks to here's, here's the bodies of my brothers and sisters where I'll be someday. Yeah. And guess what? They're going to rise from the dead. Oh, Actually, I love that image. This oh. is weird timing. I just went to uh, recently went by Sacred Heart of Mary in Boulder. Beautiful, in Boulder. it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and they've really, got and they've got a cemetery. I was really blown away by how yeah. big and just to your point, gorgeous. But the cemetery there, yep. And that was kind of the first time I think outside of possibly like a scene in Italy that you would see a lot of the, you know. Um, cemetery around the church but i don't really remember much i like when i think of cemeteries and like where i live out in erie it's like there's a a big plot of land and even in where grandma jane is like you really have to go out of your way to go to a cemetery and it's kind of like awkward it really kind of actually caught me off guard when i showed up to saint mary's and it was different it's just sacred art mary yeah um it was just it caught me off guard but the Thinking of it that way, that's one of the coolest things I've ever thought. It's beautiful. And, it's and, awesome. and, and I love what you said of like, it's just this big plot of land. Because guess what we've done? We no longer believe in God. And so we've removed the dead Yeah, from our, we don't want to see the dead. We don't want to see cemeteries. I mean, I, I hate we to- we don't s- believe in God anymore. Yeah. I hate to say it this way, but honestly, if I think of a cemetery, if I'm a developer trying to find spot for a cemetery, I'm kind of, it's the same mindset as I would a landfill. It's sure, like put it. that put that way out on the outskirts of town. Yep. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna it needs to not ever impede with like real estate value, any of that kind of stuff. Like, and it's very Steph loves cemetery. I'm still like, you know, I think it's changing my mind the more I learn about it. Yeah. But I grew up in a way that it was like, man, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about death. I don't want to be consistently reminded of it. But actually seeing that in Boulder. That was really beautiful. Yeah. No, it's, I actually think it, that's a hundred percent how things should be. And you'll grow to love cemeteries. I love cemeteries now. I didn't used to, but there is something, there's something just beautiful and profound. And it reminds us when you, um, when you remember that you're going to die, it helps you to live a good life. Yeah. If, because the lie is that you're going to live forever. And no, you're not. I mean, you'll live forever if you live in Jesus Christ, if, if you're saved by him, but you're going to die someday. And, and when you, and, and, and you know what? It helps, it helps sober things. You know, I thought at the beginning of our discussion, we were talking about the costumes Yeah, and it made me think of the Met Gala just happened. That's right. These people right. are absurd. They're, I mean, it's a joke, you know, yeah. it's, it's all these wealthy people. Good just thing being, AOC was there. Yeah. And, and they're just being vain, but, but think about it in that, in that context, what they're filling their minds with. It's just how important they are. And everyone lives only for now. That's right. Christians remember that we're going to die. And when, and it's just good to be around cemeteries. It's, it's good for me. And what happens, you know, we get so stressed about all kinds of things and the immediate moment is all that matters. I would love it if our lady of Lords had a cemetery that I walked through every day and I saw, yep, you know, there's, there's Ernie who died five years ago. And I remember burying him and, yeah. There's a spot I'm going to be. 
I don't know when, but someday that's my spot right there. And I've lived here. I've worshiped God. And like, it's so meaningful because it's to be buried in a place where I spent my life worshiping God here. I need emotional time about this. And I'm surrounded by those who worshiped God with me and who loved him together. And we're all together right around the church. And just like, oh, I wish that was how we did it. Ah, uh, man. I'm like reflecting on myself. You know, um, when I used to, when I, when I would bike ride, um, and I would, and I lived downtown and I would go towards, um, golden, uh-huh. right. And you would just take, you would go directly West and there's that big cemetery on like 38th and Wadsworth ish on Wadsworth like Crown Hill, I think maybe yeah. coming out there. Yeah. One, I would either avoid it or I would like ride super fast by it. Cause I would get creeped out going by the cemetery. Right. And again, I think if I change my mindset into what you're saying of like, it really helps you to examine life yep. and knowing like <laughs> it shouldn't creep me out, yep. but it does. And I think there's a good opportunity there. I think what's interesting is that when I ride by it, the feeling that comes for me is like, I know, and I believe in God and all that kind of stuff, but I don't want to die yet. Like I just have Gianna and I just have, but how do you kind of, what would be your advice on? Um, I would love to train Gianna or teach Gianna in a way that she isn't afraid of death and isn't yeah. afraid of when I die. Yep. How do you, how do you do that? I don't know if you fully can. I think, in, I think there is a fear of death that is natural. Yeah. But I think is, but more importantly is, and I think how you do it is you build up the truth about what is God doing? Yeah. What is he going to do? And, and one of N.T. Wright's big points is, and this is so powerful is that you teach Gianna that God is going to make all things new. The teaching of the New Testament is new creation. So there's a reason Jesus rises on a Sunday. The reason he rises on a Sunday is because God started the creation on a Sunday. And Jesus, on on a Sunday, starts the new creation. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17, I quote all the time. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This world is going to be made new. And, and one of the big things that N.T. Wright teaches, and he's so dead on about this, is that the Christian life is not the story of how I, I lived a good life so I get to go somewhere else and leave earth. The Christian story is the story of how heaven broke into earth and transformed it. And, and the easiest, a lot of you have probably heard me say this before, but the easiest way to understand this is just the way you pray the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Get me out of here so I can be in heaven. You don't say that. Yeah. Thy kingdom come, come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And at the end of the book of Revelation, God, we don't ascend up to God's heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God and it breaks into earth. Romans chapter 8 is largely about this in the latter portion of Romans 8, about how creation because of in Genesis three, when Adam and Eve fall. And, you know, one of your big questions always about how it's not fair. Why was I born into this awful world where this seems like things are stacked against me? Yeah. In Genesis three, the whole earth is out. The, the world, or uh, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. And by the sweat of your brow shall it bring forth. Uh, 
so, so creation's cursed. The whole world shares in the curse of Adam in Genesis 3, and there's lots of places in the Bible that talk about this. But Romans 8, Paul shows that because of what Jesus did, Jesus, right, is the new Adam, right? That's, yeah. you know, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15. He's the new Adam. We've talked about this on this podcast. That doesn't just be like a cool little factoid, like resume point number one for Jesus. New Adam, <laughs> right? No, he's recreating the world. He's yeah. making all things new. And so finally, I want to, I want to, this is my last point today, is that, so Wright has this great thing where he quotes, there's one line from 1 Corinthians 15 that he loves to talk about in this book, Surprised by Hope. And so at the very last line of 1 Corinthians 15, which is the longest chapter on the resurrection, Paul says this, uh, so 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. You hear that one more time. So he says, you know, live a good life, be steadfast, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And here's his point. Too many Christians, they think the work we do in this world, it might be nice, but this world's all going to go away. And that's it. And Wright's like, no, if you actually understand what the New Testament teaches, God will transform all of creation. And, what, and, what it, and this is why, by the way, this is why I can be a celibate. I say this all the time. And it re, just honestly, talking about it on the podcast today renews this in me. This is why I can be a celibate. It's because God is going to transform everything. And what our little churches, Our Lady of Lords and St. Louis Parish, what little Christian communities are, they are the advanced signposts of God's new creation. And when we are transformed, when I go from living a life that's all about me yep. and I'm transformed, it's like D-Day. Yeah. It's like, so, so on, on Omaha Beach, there's this little place where the allied forces broke in and it was, and that was the sign that all of Nazi kind of the, the whole German project is going to fall. When I, when a life, when a soul is transformed in this world and it lives for God, it's a, it's a sign to everyone around us. This is what's going to happen to the whole world. And so, so Wright's line. And when he quotes first Corinthians 15, 58 here, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on forever today. No, but his point is that, the, the, the stuff you're doing right now, if you're at your job and you're bringing justice and righteousness to your job, that's not in vain. And it's not just like, well, that was cool, but it doesn't matter now. You're, you're going to go to heaven. The work we're doing now is for the sake of what God will do on the last day when he'll transform all of creation. So our work at Our Lady of Lords in St. Louis matters because it's going to be caught up in God's new creation. And so it's not like, nice job, Brian. Good job. Let's throw everything out come have fun. We have a party in heaven. It's, Hey, what you did at our lady of Lords. That was the groundwork for, and it prepared the way for me to transform the whole world. And it's part of my new creation. Oh, does that make any sense? Yes. That literally is why I can be celibate. If, if, if it's just kind of this rule that I have to suffer in this life, couldn't do it, but I can do it because I'm like, if God's going to change every, if he's going to fix all things, make all things right. And he's like, Brian, I need you to be a part of this. 
can you sacrifice to be a part of the kingdom today? This, this breaking into this world. That's when I'm a good celibate is when I see that. So sorry to go on that tangent. It remind, I was watching this clip um, actually last night. <clears throat> Jonah woke up at like 3.30 and I was up and there was a, somehow I, NWTN, EWTN put out uh, Andre Bocelli. Yeah. Uh, um, the singer. Yes. And it would, they asked him, he's a big Catholic, I guess. Yep. And they asked him why. And he said he, he looks at life as, you know, we have this time here, but it's eternity. Yep. Right. Like, and that's kind of his justification is we have a hundred years here. And, yep. and you look at it that way. Um, and for you to say it the way you have to be that signpost when you're really at the grand scale. Yeah. This life is so minor compared yep. to the overall journey. Yeah. One last image he uses I love. The image he uses for this is he says, if you imagine one of the, the great cathedrals of Europe, they, they took hundreds of years usually to build. Yeah. And so, they, so you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get to see the end of it. Mm. And so his, his image is just like that. He says, imagine if you're a craftsman and you're working on Chartres Cathedral in France and you're a stonemason and you're carving an angel that's going to belong you might not see the whole cathedral and it might not be completed for 200 years. Yeah. But you know that that work you did, that angel you carved, whoa, is going to be a part of the cathedral. Isn't that beautiful? He says, yes. that's what your work as a Christian. That's why Christians are different. We don't do politics the same way as other people do. We don't do business the same way other people do. Yep. We don't run our families the way other people do. We build knowing there's a cathedral and the architect is Jesus. Yeah. And he's the only one who can bring it all together. But my little piece, my little angel I'm carving, is going to be a part of that cathedral. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to look at it as, like I said, I'm not going to waste my time building this thing for something I'll never see finished. Yeah. And it, it refutes the whole, like, like, in, and I, the, we could have a three hour podcast today. We got to watch out. But, but it's like, it kind of refutes if, if it, this world is just God's going to take us to heaven, what is he waiting for? Yeah. Do I just have to go through this life and hopefully I don't really screw up and God's like, gotcha. Yeah. You know, it answers the question of why are we waiting around? Yeah. It answers that because what's, what's happening is God's not abandoning this world. He's going to, he's at the end of time, he'll break into transform it into, into something analogous. We can't answer all the questions. We don't know everything, but in Romans eight, what Paul is talking about and first Corinthians 15 is that what happened to the body of Jesus in the resurrection is somehow analogous to what will happen to God's creation. So it won't just be like this creation. We're not going to wake up and be like, yep, you know, Long's Peak still looks like it did about 4 million years ago. It's going to be the same creation, but Jesus's body right after the resurrection, it's not just his earthly body. It is, but it's, it's caught up into his divinity. It's transformed. It's not, it can pass through walls. It, it's incapable of suffering. There's, it's divinized fully. Not that he wasn't God before. I could get into heresy here, but. Um, okay. So to summarize this, and I'm trying to, I guess in my mind, I'm trying to think like how I would explain this to a six-year-old Gianna or like a first grader over at Lord's, right? Like, and it feels like in order to understand death, you need to understand life now. 
and that heaven is on earth. Yeah. Then in my mind, as I'm trying to summarize this. Not yet. And that, that could sound like Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. Okay. And they're partially right, but they're, they're partially wrong too. Got it. Well, okay. So if, if I'm playing that out and that, you know, there is the resurrection. And I kind of get it. Like the natural inclination would be like, Jonah, don't worry about me. I'm in a better place. Steph, don't worry about me. I'm going to be in a better place. And, and like that yeah. just softens the blow of the reality of like, dad's not going to be here tomorrow. Like right. physically, he's right. not here. But the way I'm kind of hearing it now, I guess I'm getting caught up a little bit in this, in the idea of like, okay, that makes sense. But then it kind of seems like if death is the enemy, uh-huh. right? Like it, death is bad. Yep. Then like, is it until the res, like the full resurrection, yep. you're not really in a great place. That's exactly correct. So you're, even if you're in a state of union with God, so the saints, yeah, so yeah. Saint Maximilian Colby, right? He is in a state of perfect union in terms of his soul with God, but he is incomplete. And think of it this way: this is a great way, I think, to think of it with Gianna, is that if you die, you live a good life, you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ by His death and resurrection. Your soul is in a state of union with God, but it, but when your soul is in a state of union with God before the last resurrection. You can't give Gianna a hug, right? Oh, yes. Okay. And like your, you, Patrick Devaney, are not a soul that happens to have a body. Yep. And you're not a body that happens to have a soul. Yep. You are a body soul composite. And so until the resurrection of the body, you're not fully yourself. And when the resurrection of the body happens, that is the final state of everything you're supposed to be. And our bodies are good, right? It's, if, you're, if you're someone who knows Christian history a little bit, the great heresy of early Christianity is called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism believed a number of things that were wrong. But one of the, the, the central things that they got wrong was Gnosticism believed that material, physical things were bad. And it's a heresy. Christians are the guardians of the body. And the reason we behave with our bodies, and it's, Gnostics didn't think it mattered how we behave with our bodies. You only have rules around things that are good. Yeah. And your body's good. And so we have rules for it. And your body's going to live forever and it'll be raised from the dead someday. And so, in between, so NT Wright, the way he says this, he says, you know, we talk about life after death. Yep. And he, he likes to use that phrase to mean that what you're talking about when your soul is not yet re- reunited with your body. So he, he talks about, life after death and life after life after death, which he means resurrection by that. Yep. And so this is, this is just awesome. And it helps Christians to avoid the two extremes. One extreme would say that we can fix everything by ourselves. And that's like, that tends to be people who don't believe in God anymore, who all that matters is politics and we'll just fix everything ourselves. You can't do that. Only God can do that. But the other extreme would be the Christians who check out and they say this all, this whole world's going to go to hell anyways. I'm going to heaven. Who cares about this world? The, the Catholic dogma of the resurrection obliterates both of those positions. This world does matter. And what, what you do, your work in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. It actually matters. It carries through to the next world. But you can't do it on your own. Right. It's only through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, 
and through the work of God the Father that that cathedral is going to be brought to completion. Oh, man, that's deep. Wow. I would recommend that book, Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright. We don't believe everything. He, there's some stuff in there that he gets wrong. He doesn't get purgatory. He doesn't get Mary. But by and large, it's a phenomenal book. Wow. I did not think leading into our topic on the yep. month of October right. would get me to this point, but that is, that's pretty fascinating stuff. Happy Halloween. That's right. Happy All Saints Day. Dress up as a saint. Dress up as a saint, right? That's who you're called to be. Yeah. That's the look. Be a good today. signpost. I hope I get to be Don't a saint. be the Grim Reaper. Yeah. All right, everybody. It. Wow. Give us a like, spread the word, help people to know the good news that their life is not just their life on earth, but the future life on earth the transformed kingdom of God. Uh, that's what we were about. And so dress up as a saint, get excited about the resurrection of the body. Uh, anything else? That's it. Rant at lordsdenver.org. Email us, like us, share us with your friends. Peace. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.